Welcome to episode 41 of the Breaking Balls podcast, the almost Ryan Priest episode. Uh, they were beaten, they were banging, and they were certainly clashing in the Coliseum. NASCAR is back! Yep, Bob, and the more things change, the more they stay the same. The one still got into the 11, the three punched somebody at the end of the race for track position, and it's halftime, America, but instead of Wiz Khalifa, you're just going to have to deal with good old Dolly and DW, so hit it, Dolly. Ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 41 of the Breaking Balls podcast. Fresh off of cars on the track, the clash at the Coliseum, Bob. We're coming down, but boy, oh boy, is it good to be talking about racing again. No football on the horizon because we're not going to do the uh, underwear Olympics thing that they did in Vegas. But Bob, we had plenty of good contact and racing and all sorts of stuff going on at the clash this week. So what do you think of this of this race, Bob? I'll briefly mention, Ad, the Pro Bowl was an absolute joke, a travesty. That's the only mention and, uh, you know, energy I'm going to give it here. Otherwise, Ad, we had cars on track. Race and season officially kicked off with the, you know, the NASCAR clash, the exhibition over there in L.A. And, I mean, I had to look outside a couple minutes ago just to make sure that nobody hit my car uh, parked outside. You know, I, you know, about 1,200, 1,400 miles away, give or take a couple hundred there. That's an estimate there, but... Ad, they were beating and banging, like we said in that intro. I mean, it was it was definitely short track racing out there in the Coliseum, that's for sure. Yeah, um, as a driver in the LA area, um, I am fully expecting my insurance premiums to go up tomorrow um, because fourteen cautions. I mean, uh, shoot, I mean, I don't even know what the final number was. I don't even know if I'm right on that, but, but I mean, just insane. They kept getting into each other, but with a half mile bullring track like that, what do you expect realistically? I mean, quarter mile, only... even better. At yeah, quarter, quarter mile. mile. You're right. Oh my goodness. I mean, <laughs> you're giving it double the size there. That's double. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of these things, Bob. <laughs> you, you look at it; it's almost difficult to comprehend looking at it on TV. Just how small the track actually is. Um, and the skill it takes for them to be, you know, to be going around at the speeds that they are. I mean, just remarkable, Bob. I mean, but you just saw a guy. It seemed like every single turn there was somebody turning around at some point, Bob. But before we bury the lead too deep in this podcast, big congratulations to Martin Truex Jr. Snake bitten all last year, had the most stage points throughout the year. Finally takes some of the momentum from last year and cashes in on it week one, wins the clash. Bob Huge win for that team, especially with everything that's been going on at uh, JGR as of late. Yeah, it, like you said, especially at JGR, it kind of feels like you know it's going to be a, a nice morale boost for uh, you know a company that's had some some rough couple months there, you know, internally. And Martin Truex, you get that monkey off the back. I know it's not a points race, so it's you know it's not going to go down as an official win there. But anytime that you beat the competition, you get to do the burnouts at the end there, and you get to celebrate in front of a packed house at the Coliseum like that. I don't think he cares, uh, you know, how he did it, where he did it. It just it's getting that monkey off your back. Like I said, that you know that winless streak that you know he had last year, second in uh, I think total stage points all year. Like you said, led in stage uh, wins all year, fourth in total points. Didn't make the playoffs just because of you know the rare winning exceptions, I think 17 winners through the regular season there, you know, it took a, a very historical season to keep him out of the playoffs. So to get this off of his, you know, his back and to have, you know, competitive strides going into 23 and going into the day 205, that's going to be huge for them, Adam. I mean, they are going to be sleeping very, very well tonight in that 19 camp for sure. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, it isn't a points race, doesn't walk you into the playoffs, but I think the way in which they won this race, they were dominant all weekend, Bob. I mean, obviously didn't sit on the pole, but were just around there, qualified high, were really dominant in the heat races, and then just kind of found a way to be where he needed to be towards the end of the race there. Things got a little bit crazy. We talked about the cautions, um, a lot of contact here and there. Um, but, you know, at the end of the race, ultimately, you know, 
the the other two guys on the NASCAR podium, which is something we don't get every week, but seeing the fact we're at a, an Olympic venue, somebody threw it out in a marketing meeting, so we got a podium for this race, Bob. And the other two members were Austin Dillon and Kyle Busch. So um, I'll say this. Um, it was very nice to see the three-car punt somebody towards the end of the race. There was something in my heart that kind of kind of made me happy. But other than that, Bob, what, what do you make of RCR's effort throughout the throughout the race? He didn't try and punt him at. He tried to rattle his cage. And, you know, the words of the Intimidator in that three-car back at uh, Bristol way back when. But, no, if you're Richard Childress, you've got to be happy with the, the trajectory today. You know, obviously, Austin Dillon, you know, he – Finished, I think, third in the clash last year. So, you know, to keep that momentum, that's huge. But more importantly for me, you know, Kyle Busch and his debut in that eight car, you didn't know what you were going to get, obviously. He had a really, really good run last year in the clash, finishing second. And lo and behold, second and third repeated themselves just like last year. But this time, they're teammates. But really, it was the way Kyle Busch did it, Ad. Uh, you know, he was kind of top seven all day, and then Joe Logano does that full send in there that the broadcast didn't want to blame him for, I guess because he was rubbing elbows with them earlier up in one of the qualifiers. I don't know, but regardless, it sent Kyle Busch all the way to the back with like, you know, 70 laps to go and dude battled all the way back to being on the front row competing for the win there with, I think it was seven to go. They re restacked there. I, it was an impressive comeback for a guy that, you know, had been saying all weekend along with the other drivers, you can't pass this track. You've got to put the bumper to him. And to be able to go from 26th, 25th, 24th, whatever he was when he restarted there, all the way up to second and eventually third when he let his teammate go by, I mean, man, that's just really impressive for, like I said, a day where a lot of guys had trouble passing. Yeah, it, it, there was not a ton of room anywhere on the track. Um, I mean, obviously, the one that was more, very noticeable to me, guy that seemed to be getting into a lot of people and... I mean, hell, I was ready to rename the whole team at one point. It was Front Row Motorsports, whether it was, you know, Todd Gillis or, or Michael McDowell. I was ready to start calling them Front Bumper Motorsports Ooh. because they were moving people all over the place. I mean, it felt like every caution, and there was a lot of them, as we said earlier, it felt like Michael McDowell was somehow involved in it. But um, back to Kyle Busch, Bob, it, it, just an impressive performance. Just really kind of, if you're an RCR fan, if you're a Kyle Busch fan, this – that RCR engine and Kyle Busch seem to be a match made in heaven at this point. And if you're an RCR fan, just to see this, this two and three finish is one of those things you look at and you're looking at your chops. You're thinking, Oh my goodness, look at the health of this organization. It's got a clear leader in Kyle Busch in that eight car. And then with Austin Dillon, I mean, if he just keeps improving, kind of takes the thing you saw them after the race, when they were kind of standing there at the interview, they were already talking about what was going on, what, what they saw on the track. And, what was even more telling to me, Bob, was Kyle Busch actually let Austin Dillon go because he recognized, hey, you know, the three's got a better car right now, probably got a better chance to go get Martin Truex. And if I can, you know, then help him help help him pass the, you know, pass Martin Truex and maybe get me into second, we get a one-two finish. It just shows that Kyle Busch's outlook has really changed. He seems to be more team-oriented, and I think it's got it bodes very well for RCR moving forward. Absolutely. Don't get it twisted, you know, a month from now when these are points races, he's not going to be, you know, letting him by for second because that's a valuable spot. But in an exhibition race right now where, you know, he's got to be the teammate and he sees the three car has a legitimate shot to maybe run down the 19, cause, you know, a little battle there that he can kind of, you know, latch on and maybe steal a win like Bristol last year. You know, that's that's Kyle Busch thinking maturely, thinking team first, you know, in a, in a like I said, a, a non-points race where it's bigger picture here. Austin Dillon's got to be confident in his teammate after a night like tonight where he let him by with four to go. Says, you know, hey, go hunt him down. See if you can get him. Doesn't matter if it's points race or not. That's a very, very huge move just to kind of show the camaraderie already early saying, hey, I've got your back. I'm going to be here. We're going to be in this together. We're not just, you know, racing each other here. We're racing as a, as a team in RCR. And then we'll move on and see, you know, hey, we're going to race each other for wins at the end of the day. And the fact that it's Kyle Busch. I mean, it's one of the greats of the yeah. sport, one of the greatest drivers of his generation, looking at a younger driver like Austin Dillon, a guy who honestly hasn't had the easiest time in the sport, obviously kind of has, gets that uh, spoiled kind of rich kid attitude type thing and that kind of stigma that gets attached to him. Oh, and so, driving the three, I mean, yeah, it's going to come with that. And that's exactly what I was just going to say. Is like, And then on top of that, he had the, you know, the whipped cream and cherry on top is the fact that they put him in the three car. 
So of course it was going to be, he kind of has had a shit sandwich served to him on a silver platter from the entire time he's been in the sport. So good for him to kind of have a, you know, kind of the old guard of NASCAR and Kyle Busch, a guy who garners a lot of respect in the garage say, Hey, you know what? This kid's got a better chance for me than to win. It's not a points race. Why not? Like you said, let's build the team aspect. Let's build the camaraderie and let's keep it going. And you know what, Bob, we may as well keep it going because we're going to keep talking about the three because that punt, we glossed over it earlier a little bit, but we're going to circle back to it because, I mean, that shot, whoever is the director on Fox who had that camera on Bubba Wallace as soon as Austin Dillon started talking, I mean, I don't know if it's an Oscar, an Emmy, what award you deserve, sir, but that was cinematic gold because the, to find him emotional, chewing on the straw, pouting, whole nine yards in the middle of that interview – Chef's kiss. I mean, Bob Bubba's obviously got a reason to be mad there, but I mean, short track racing. Yeah, it's short track racing, but I will say Austin Dillon really did send it in there a little bit early, a little bit aggressively to the point where I think that you could you could say it's short track racing just because of the venue and say, you know, oh, it is what it is. But I, it was a little bit more clear cut than most of the ones today. If I was Bubba, I would definitely be pretty irked about it. If I was any driver, I'd be irked about it, to be quite honest with you, because at that point in the race, you know, there's obviously, you know, under 10 to go. You've got to go. But the way he did it, you could have probably done it a little bit uh, less obvious than the way he did it, and especially, you know, with the rear end and NASCAR being such a hot topic last year to send him into the wall. I, I know it doesn't look like a high speed at that point, you know, in first or second gear point when you're hitting the wall back end at even 50, 60 80 miles an hour, whatever it is there. Uh, not a great feeling. So, you know, we're testing the rear clips early in, in L.A. And uh, yeah, it, it's definitely a, a younger, hot-headed move there from Austin Dillon. A younger Kyle Busch-like move, if you will. Uh, but, you know, hey, at, at the end of the day, it's, it's short track racing, I guess. You, you get this kind of racing when it's, you know, the bull ring. Yeah, I mean, I'll say this. I mean, it, it, it There was no guise of him even trying to make that corner. And I think that's where I have a little bit of an issue of it is because he was spinning Bubba. I mean, he got into Bubba early. I mean, even before Bubba really got into turning the car. So there was there was just no chance. I mean, Bubba was just getting to turn the wheel when, when Austin Dillon got into the back of him. And, you know, like you said, we got to test the rear clip of this car. We got the quick explanation from Larry Mack. The way that they've made this car, the chassis, everything oh, a little yeah. bit more crushable. Just chef's kiss from Larry Mack. Thank we, you for the quick We love a Larry Mack. We love a Larry Mack breakdown. We are always here for that. Fox, put that man on my TV as much as possible. I will never say no. I need Larry Mack in my life 24-7. Yep. Let's quit. Let's quit, Boyer. More Larry Mack, please, Fox. That's That would be breaking balls request. Anyway, um, Bob, I, I just think if you're Bubba, I mean – the camera shot, the camera looks bad. I mean, the, the shot, the image, everything that the people are going to remember of, of that looks bad, but it is very indicative and it kind of is a, is a pattern, a pattern here for Bubba because this happens to him a lot to where he runs well the entire day. And then towards the end of the race, something happens, finds a way and he ends up finishing. I mean, last other than the guys who were, you know, who were down a lap and really unfortunate because that was a car who had a hell of a day, Bob. I mean, he was he was up around the front the entire day, was driving aggressively, seemed to really find his line there towards the middle of the race before halftime. But I don't know, Bob, just a, a really good day for Bubba Spoiled at the end there. Yeah, uh, you mentioned it where, you know, he has a great day. And it's, for whatever reason, that's not the, the news story there. Obviously, you know, we're, people are going to find any way they can to scrutinize Bubba Wallace with his platform and just, you know, his his position in NASCAR. So, uh, you know, he's an emotional driver, uh, especially getting punted like that, competing for the race. Obviously, he's got to find a way to, you know, keep these emotions in check to not have that be the story. Because like you said, he ran great today, led over 40 laps was one of the best cars on track all day, was going to be a top-five car regardless. But, Ad, you know, we mentioned him punting or getting punted by Austin Dillon. It's kind of ironic, though, because early in the race, you know, when Bubba Wallace was, you know, kind of emerging as kind of a dark horse, we didn't expect him to run this well. You know, he pushed his, his owner out of the way pretty, pretty ruthlessly. <laughs> Denny Hamlin, who had an early start, led probably the first 10, 15 laps there. Bubba Wall said, that's okay, you signed my paychecks. You're going to understand, that's short track racing. Kind of use his own quote against him there because 
he had no bones about uh, moving that man, did he? No, not a, not even a little bit. And it's going to be a really awkward performance meeting, I'd imagine, uh, over at twenty three eleven. Um, because maybe, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you know if that's no harm, no foul, because it's not a points race, or what. What do we do about that whole thing? But he sent him from first place to ninth. I mean, uh, at this point, I'm very excited that Denny Hamlin has a podcast because at this point. That that script writes itself. I mean, at this point, I, I would be surprised if he makes Bubba come on the podcast, make him talk about the whole thing. But I mean, it, it just goes to show you that the guard is changing. I think that's what that move showed me, to be honest with you, Bob, is that because a year, maybe even two years ago, Bubba Wallace does not dare make that move, especially when that's your when that's your car owner. But let alone let, let's take let's take the relationship there. Let's set it aside for a second. But this is a younger driver, a guy who has kind of garnered a lot of media attention. Some people will say he doesn't deserve it. We're not going to debate that right now. He's one of the most polarizing names in the sport. A guy who gets a lot of eyes and a lot of attention. Denny Hamlin has been that for NASCAR for a very long time, and I think he's been given that level of respect accordingly. Is this a sign that some of these younger guys like Bubba Wallace and maybe like a Christopher Bell or something like that are going to say, hey, you know what? I've given you your elder statesman status long enough. And, you know, with Kevin Harvick kind of getting out, there's not going to be that guy in the garage reminding people about, you know, how long the the guys who've been driving for decades have been in the garage. And I think the respect may dwindle. And I think that was kind of one of those things. I don't know if I'm reading too far into it, Bob. You can let me know, but. I just, I don't know. It just seemed like one of those things I was watching. It seemed a little bit indicative of the future, kind of the two styles of racing clashing there. Maybe. I, I, I know we've, that's been a topic for the last few years. I mean, this is not the first time that Bubba Wallace and Denny Hamlin have gotten into it. They got into it, I believe, 2018, 2019, a few years ago. It was part of the reason Bubba was kind of shocked when Denny called him uh, because they hadn't, you know, had the cleanest of pasts there. So this is actually not the first time they've gotten into each other. Um, but, you know, it, you know, Denny... Once he got punted out of the lead, they really struggled all day. You know, before we get into our halftime breakdown here, Ad, I will say we got some familiarity, though, in the 2023 season. A little bit of 2022 bled in last year into this year. Denny and Ross, you know, Ross and Monica, Chandler and Monica, uh, Chandler and Monica, I'm sorry, Ross and, Ross and Rachel. It's just, you know... Uh, Superman and Lois Lane, these two just can't seem to stay away from each other. Uh, whatever reason, man, these two are just, uh, you know, the Hatfields and the McCoys. I don't know what it is, but these two just added another chapter into their, their long legacy of uh, a short year, but a long battle. Another spin out, Ross gets Denny, and I'm sure that won't be the last we hear of it, but add, you know, there was plenty of smoke on the track. There was just as much off of it, my friend, because let me tell you, Hell of a halftime show. Bravo, bravo, NASCAR. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some props here. I am. Wiz Khalifa. Well done. Well Who'd done. Who would have thought, Bob? I mean, you know, coming back, playing the deep cuts from high school, felt like I was a junior in high school again, um, hanging out, listening to the clean version of Wiz Khalifa. Um, I will say, you know, smoke on the track, smoke there on the stage, smoke in the booth with Tony Stewart. There was smoke everywhere at the Clash, Bob. I mean, let me, it, it just, the, one of those things, if you're going to sum it up in a word, I guess it's got to be smoke. Yeah, I mean, hey, pro- professional smoke on the track, commentary smoke on on the in the booth, and recreational smoke in the stands. You know, hey, it's it's California, baby, why not? It's <laughs> It's legal everywhere. It's... They said when Cypress Hill started to go on stage and they opened the windows for the press box, it was just wafing in. So uh, the NASCAR cultures definitely embrace that West Coast and mentality there. I guess old Jeff Gluck was was having out of a little bit of a Southern comfort zone there, kind of having the windows open up. He seemed a little confused there. But I, I, I got to say, you know, it's back-to-back years where they've done the halftime show, and obviously in L.A., you've got to do something a little bit different than, you know, your traditional NASCAR base there. Last year, they did uh, Ice Cube. Uh, you know, Pitbull did the big concert before the show. Uh, this year, you get Cypress Hill before the show. It was okay. I, I, I wasn't, you know, too big on it, I will say. It wasn't as good as Pitbull. Um, but definitely, you know, you get that West Coast vibe. You've got to, you know, tier to your region and your audience there. Sure, very popular out there, especially. I would like to challenge 
That is all I will say, because you know what, Bob? On the other side of the of the culture that is Cypress Hill and Ice Cube and everything, there is the greater punk scene of the Los Angeles area, because we could have had social distortion up there, and they would have absolutely rocked halftime, Bob. Can you imagine hearing story of my life and then ball and chain? just like you were playing Guitar Hero out there, and then for some reason Dixie D'Amelio will come out in the middle of it all, and we really don't understand it, but she's there because NASCAR said, here's celebrities, we're going to keep throwing them at you, and why you got your Rob Lowe, why don't you take it with a side of Cypress Hill? <laughs> because we're going to make you take a hit from the bong, and it's going to be over the entire time. It's going to be remarkable. Entertainment. I, I, I don't know. Whoever plans these events for NASCAR, Wiz Khalifa was the only one that hit. Everything else just kind of seemed like a smorgasbord of random things. But, I mean, that's that's halftime, America. And if it was up to you, it would have definitely either been Social Distortion or Dropkick Murphys. Whoever said yes on the email first, 100% there. Uh but I got to tell you, you know, Wiz Khalifa, obviously, it's a little bit of an older, you know, 20, you know, earlier 2010s. But for our generation, you know, that younger under 40 demographic, especially, that's a guy that, you know, you're not going to just go to the track to see. But if you're going to tune in, you know, you're not going to turn the channel. You know, you're definitely like, oh, whatever. You got some friends over watching the game or the race. They're not going to be like, oh, you know, get the, it's, it's not another country artist. It's not, you know, an 80s rocker. It's something different. They need to go more of this direction. I loved it. Yeah, I'll say this. I mean, my my fiance was who does not often watch the race with me was watching the race, uh, watching the clash with me this go around. And Annie even said she was like, "Hey, uh, Wiz Khalifa, huh?" I was like, "Yeah, kind of random." But she's like, "No, it's good." I mean, it's like it's very random, but I mean, good artist kind of brings everybody together. Um, not a lot of complaints from Anna, so shout out to Anna for watching the race with me today. Very nice. Um, we appreciate that. Grammys were on, so kind of a kind of a sacrifice for her. Had to record those, but. Shout out to Anna for letting me watch the race. It was a good day to be me. Great day to be you, Ad. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll jump into, you know, the second half. We'll, we'll, we'll wrap up halftime here. We'll, we'll get back on the track here, I guess. That's okay. Hey, Great day for minute. you. Great day for hold, Anna. Hold on. You, had, you said halftime. Did you – where are my orange slices? Oh, uh, we had to cut that from – I thought it was Susie's turn we cut, to bring to – bring, no. No. Sorry, so, but we had to cut that from the budget to keep the internet going this week for the podcast. So, um, you know, that's that's uh, that's on y'all. Uh, if your yeah. mother would like to, to bring the orange slices next week, maybe, you know, double up. That would be fantastic. Uh, well, I mean, sure. I think she's got the after the podcast snack, but we can get into it later. Go ahead. Just continue. The, the people are expecting a show here, Bob. I'm hoping it's Rice Krispie Treats. Anyway, Ad, you know. You said it was a good day for you and Anna over there watching the, the race. Great day for Ryan Priest. You know, we kind of buried the other lead here. The guy took over for Cole Custer, you know, taking a leap. You got Tony Stewart in the booth. No pressure with the boss man who vouched for you and really put the, the his neck on the line for you to get that 41 seat. And the man came out, and after, a, you know, a very underwhelming qualifying last night, I was kind of worried. Oh, boy, he really didn't have a great day. No. I mean – Impressive to say the least. I think he ended up finishing seventh. I got to double check on that. I believe it was seventh. Where is it? Ryan Priest yep. seventh. Yes. Yep. Led, I think, 30, 40 laps. Had some incredible passes on the outside and really showed that, you know, that modified experience really paid off on this, you know, flatter, short track. Yeah. Um, definitely seemed very comfortable driving that car. Um, was really the first guy, um, kind of later in the first half of this race to make the outside line work a little bit. Um, I believe it was one of the restarts. Um, I think it was when Eric Amarola made his mistake or maybe the restart after him. It's kind of slipping my mind right now, but uh, Eric Amarola had clearly never been in the front of a race before and had no idea what to do. And his team was just as clueless um, for whatever reason there. And Man. Ryan, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a brain fart that there was so much that happened with the cautions and stuff that we almost forgot about it. But I mean, talk about just losing complete control of track position, the race, everything. But a guy who took advantage of it was Ryan Priest. I mean, he really snuck his way up. He went from seventh, I believe, into third, and then eventually got into second place because of, you know, really benefiting from that mistake. And, I mean, just really shows you just a good way to be opportunistic on the track, found ways to move up quietly, and then all he just seemed to surprise everybody, even Tony Stewart, who was in the booth. And, you know, if there was a way for somebody to will a car into the lead, 
through um, talking in the in the booth. I'm sure Tony Stewart would have done it because he was just oh my gosh, <laughs> re- remarkable the way that he was just. I, I mean, for lack there of a better term, he was just absolutely stroking him off in the booth there, Bobby. It was ridiculous. At some point, I thought we were going to get a like some sort of parental advisory thing coming across the screen. It was getting ridiculous there for a little bit. But all credit to Ryan Priest. He did run a hell of a race, but he's Tony Stewart. Pop you know, at, at this point, though, Tony Stewart was so pissed at NASCAR the last you know calendar year that we needed something to keep him happy. And I'll be honest, if this was Tony Stewart gloating on TV and keep it at PG, I can't even imagine what his text to Gene Haas was. You know, I, I told you so. Uh, let me let me have the decisions when it comes to personnel, my dude, because if you're Cole Custer, I don't think you're going to be running top five most of that race. Let's be quite honest here. And we, you know, we're a Cole Custer podcast. We stand Cole, but, you know, Ryan Priest has shown in the last few years that he has, you know, bet on himself. We say it every time we break it down with him. He bet on himself last year, put himself when he's in good equipment, he wins races. And, you know, if he can keep this momentum going, I mean, man, when these short track packages come, he's going to be a threat at Martinsville, at, you know, Gateway, at places like that where it's flatter, where he can kind of roll the turns. At New Hampshire, he's going to be a threat. Him and Eric Amarola might just dominate New Hampshire at SHR. You never know here. They might not be just the Chris Bell show, but add. You know, Ryan Priest has got to feel really good about his debut for that 41, and Tony Stewart's got to be just as equally pressed. Uh, both guys are going to be cheering and probably having a drink tonight down in L.A. Yeah, certainly. I mean, there and no reason for them not to. I mean, we had a lot of questions on Ryan Priest. I mean, we talked about it in the breakdown and the preview of the season. I mean, we just a lot of questions for him. Um, obviously, you can't question the dedication to anything. I mean, the guy mortgaged his house to race in better equipment, and it's good to see that that gamble is paying off. Um, just another one of those intriguing stories that you hear, kind of like Ross Chastain, where you just see a guy going for it, absolutely chasing his dream with reckless abandon. And I mean, it's good to see it work out for him. I mean, and obviously the finish tonight, we're hoping it's a sign of good things to come for them. But I mean, just think a bigger picture. I mean, if he's able to kind of put things together and really be a, a performer for Stuart Haas, I mean, it, it really does take some pressure off of them. I mean, obviously with Harvick leaving, um, you know, I guess we could talk about this now, Bob. The the big moves that Harvick's made um, off the track. We'll start there. Um, the announcement was obviously made today, as soon as the broadcast went live. Basically, that um, Kevin Harvick is going to be in the booth next year for Fox. Um, Bob, knee jerk reaction. I, I I'd love to get yours on this. Um, I know I know what my opinion is, but haven't really got a chance to ask you. So, what do you, what do you think? Kevin Harvick headed right to the booth next year. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Kevin Harvick made moves today. I, I didn't know if you were talking on the track, off the track. We'll get to that second part later just because you mentioned the uh, the Fox News first. I'll go ahead and bring that topic up. We won't pivot too quick here, Ad. We'll keep it. We'll keep it. We'll keep it on schedule here. But no, Kevin Harvick announced in the Fox booth kind of a, you know, it's been rumored. It's kind of been out there, floated around that he was probably going to be doing that. Uh, but making it official, they announced it on air with him. It was kind of a cool thing there. Had his family kind of do a little video intro, too, with it. It kind of caught him off guard. Um, it, you know, announcing it next to Larry Mack and Jamie McMurray, who were guys that probably could have been in that role, too. A little awkward. You could tell they were happy for him. But, like, you know, oh, it should have been me. It should have been me. Listen, I would love Larry Mack or Jamie Mack in the booth. I think if we could knock Clip Boyer out, keep Kevin Harvick in there and throw one of those two in there, might be an ideal world. But you know, this is not about them. It's about Kevin Harvick. So let's keep it on track here. I'm sorry, America. Anyway, Kevin Harvick in the booth, knowledgeable, been around the sport, you know, very well-spoken. Personality. That's one of the things I think comes to mind with Kevin Harvick is personality. So uh, anytime you can keep these drivers that are really remarkable, legends of the sport around in any facet, I think it's good. And uh, having another, you know, recognizable face for America to see on TV is really good too. I agree with you 100%. I I think this is one of those guys who I think should have a microphone under his helmet. Wherever the hell you could put a microphone for Kevin Harvick, he should have one. Um, I think he's one of those guys who is sneaky, funny, has a big personality, but doesn't often show it. Um, Obviously, when he's given a chance to in interviews, I think he he pops off. But I just think it's going to be so nice to kind of be able to just get his unfiltered reactions to watching different things on the track. Um, I think there's so many things about, you know, like you said, the racing experience, everything about him and, you know, with his, I, and you know, he's got such an investment in the future of his sport because of his kids and everything like that. I mean, 
he's just got such an interesting perspective that I think he's going to bring to the Fox booth. And, you know, obviously don't want to cut the racing career short here. We're going to enjoy every last bit of Kevin Harvick on the track because that is, you know, childhood, everything. It's, it's good memories. It's good vibes, but I, I would be lying if I, if I wouldn't say, if I was saying I was not excited to see what that transition to the booth is going to look like. I hope it's a smooth one. Yeah, and you notice that uh, in especially in the qualifiers that they had multiple drivers come up. You know, Kevin Harvick was up there, Joe Logano, Kyle Busch were all up there. You notice some of these older drivers. I don't even want to say older, but the you know the veteran drivers, the guys that are in their thirties. You know, they they kind of dip their toe in and you know see what it's like in that booth just to see if they're any good. If you know if the chemistry is there, I think some of those guys like a Joey Logano. Joe Logano is only thirty one, thirty two. You know, ten, fifteen years from now. Wouldn't be shocked if he's in a role like that where he goes to the TV booth. A guy like you, you've seen in these, you know, Fox races in the Xfinity where they have Kurt Busch on, they have Tyler Reddick, guys like that that, you know, have personalities that are good to have that driver perspective in the booth. So, you know, Kevin Harvick, like I said, been around the sport for so long. You give a face like that. It's never a bad thing, but maybe somebody can drown out the Clint Boyer noise a little bit. Because America, I, I, I don't know how long I can do this. Yeah, I mean, I love Quinn Boyer's personality, but in the booth, man, he is, he's been killing me as of late. I mean, especially today, it just, I don't know, it, it just felt like, you know, it, it just feels very vanilla. It feels very buttoned up, which, I, I don't know. I don't know if somebody's forcing him into that or what it is, but Quinn Boyer needs to go back to beat himself a little bit because, I don't know, Bob, right now it just kind of feels he- a little stale. It's not that you know he doesn't have passion for the sport and he's not energetic. He is. It's almost just too much. I mean, you know, I'll jump right into it. Ad, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the Kevin Harvick move because that was probably the move of the day here. When you really talk about pure racing, yeah. that was the move of the day. And you had Clint Boyer yelling over it a little bit, so it is what it is. But let's just talk about the actual move here because Kevin Harvick, obviously, the Fox News was big. But what he did on the track there was pretty damn big. Uh, the the Ricky Stenhouse, Chase Elliott, Kevin Harvick triage that that race too that heat too was stacked with with stars you know obviously martin truex kind of ran away with it him and kyle bush were the clear one two there i think that was when you kind of realized oh damn truex might have a shot here when he passed kyle bush and ran away with it and you knew kyle bush was good at this track he had a shot but in the back of all of that you had kevin harvick you had chase elliott stenhouse I want to say there was one other person in it. Uh, was it Cindric? Cindric was the one causing all the chaos in the back there, yeah. too. Yeah, Cindric. Um, you had Harvick in the lead. Then Elliott and Stenhouse were passing each other. Looked like, okay, Harvick's not even in this anymore, going into the back stretch for the last lap to get in. And lo and behold, Harvick sends Stenhouse into Elliott. Elliott clears Stenhouse, and Harvick gets alongside both of them and just has enough momentum to clear Elliott at the front the checkered flag i mean add what a what a move that is just short track race and it's clean you didn't wreck anyone you gotta love it right it's it's what the sport needed right there it's what it's all about yeah it was the perfect way to set the tone for the day there in heat two i mean it, it was one of those things you watch the move early and you think god i missed racing i mean it was exactly what the doctor yes. ordered it, it, it really was it was that that shot in the arm that Thank God racing's back. Every racing fan watched it. You were on the edge of your seat watching it the entire time. Got right to the door. Got him just by the nose. I mean, it's everything you want as a racing fan, Bob. I mean, it's incredible. To get that perfect of a moment that quickly into the day for NASCAR, I mean, you can't write it up. and You can't draw it up any better. I mean, you can't write the script any better. I know that's been a big topic on social media as of late, writing scripts. But, (laughs) holy, I mean, but, Bob, I mean, it's one of those things. I mean. It's a shame that there wasn't more eyes on it because it was an incredible move. It it, it was it was like you said it it needs more eyes because that's what NASCAR is about. That's that's the mentality of racing. Yeah, you beat, you bang, you use the bumper, but you you don't just wreck the guy. And you know, obviously Stenhouse and Elliott both had some words afterwards. But at the end of the day, you can't be mad. That's just Kevin Harvick. You know, that's the closer. That's why they call him the closer. Where did he come from? That Daryl Waltrip clip from the six hundred. Uh, way back when that is kevin harvick to a t you know you just you give him a chance man you keep him around one of these one of these veteran guys will find a way and you know had jay sell it was the short end of the stick there you know obviously he ended up getting in to the qualifier but slow day for him hendrick as a whole pretty strong day all their guys i think finished in the top eight i believe top 10 william byron slipped out there for a little bit there 
uh, ended up 10th, but ran top seven all day. Bowman, Hen uh, Bowman, Byron, Larson all had great days. Chase Elliott continues the slump that he started with the playoffs and not a great clash last year, so maybe it's just this track. But, man, you saw him a lot today on TV getting that Napa sponsorship deal. But it was because of a beat-up race car. They need some Napa tools after this weekend. Yeah, a little bit of Napa know-how to kind of get some of the uh, scuffs and the dents out of that car, Bob, because, oh, my goodness, I mean, poor guy just didn't have anything going all day, was ran running around the back, never really seemed to kind of get the hang of the car. Um, and on top of that, it seemed like just when he would crack into like the top 15, there would be some sort of wreck that he may get caught up in or something like that. And he was getting past and getting right, sent right back to the back there. And it just, I don't know. It, 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 we talked about it a little bit in the, in the preview about how, you know, he was kind of trending downwards towards the end of the year, especially into the playoffs. But I mean, they need to write that ship right now. I mean, I, am I, am I really worried about him? No, because at the end of the day, it's still one of the best car drive, the best drivers in the cup cup series and he's done too much to this point to really sit there and be like oh well you know wh what's happened to chase elliott because it hasn't been that long of an issue but it's definitely something that if you're watching you're definitely noticing that chase elliott is not performing as we are accustomed to see chase elliott perform but i mean as far as the rest of the hendrick guys go bob i mean kyle larson quiet day but steadily steadily just finds a way to finish in the top 10 um alex bowman Ladies and gentlemen, they say to keep your words short and sweet because you may have to eat them later. And Alex Bowman made me eat my words today like the large-stomached man that I am because let me tell you, Bob, those cookies did not taste good, but Alex Bowman sure was today. And got to give him all sorts of credit because he found a way to, to stay, uh, you know, keep himself in it. And then, of course, there was William Byron who ended up beefing with Denny Hamlin but still ended up in the top ten. So pretty good day for Hendrick, Bob, all in all. Yeah, I'll circle back just because um, I, I want to mention something about Elliot real quick. We kind of jumped into Hedrick quicker than I thought there. Um, there's one thing about Elliot, you know, if he has three or four bad starts to this year, Ad, that confidence thing might be, you know, it turns into a slump that we've seen some of these star drivers the last year have. I will say with the longevity of this 36 race season, 26 race regular season, that is the beauty. You can have a slump and go in, you know, you win a race here or there, you're in the playoffs, it doesn't matter. But it's one of those things with Chase Elliott in that playoffs, and you know you have a, a day like this. Will that confidence start to wane? You've seen guys like Truex, like Blaney, like Harvick go through these slumps the last two or three years. Is Chase Elliott maybe the next star driver that might have that? I don't know. But you know, you broke down the Hendrick cars there. Larson was consistent all day. Really didn't make any moves. It just you know was solidly always you know top ten is what it is. We kind of kind of expect that with Kyle Larson, but. Want to give a props to the two guys at Hendrick that we always kind of throw them at you know oh they're the C and D guys at Hendrick there you know it's Elliott and Larson and then it's Bowman and Byron Byron dominated his heat race today was consistently probably top ten top seven all day finished tenth but Alex Bowman man we talked about Ryan Priest making the outside work Alex Bowman no more concussions he beat Kurt Busch back to get back from concussion protocol. And let me tell you, that Ally car looked beautiful on the track, and it was rolling. It was rolling on the outside, on the inside. He was aggressive. You thought he had a chance to win this race, not because of pure speed, but just, you know, Alex Bowman, when he's in that top three or four, things always happen to make sure that he finds the way to victory lane. You thought maybe this was going to be another one of them, Ad, but not to be, but definitely, definitely got to be uh, very happy about this for the 48 team. Yeah, a lot of really positive things happened today for Hendrick. I mean, obviously, you know, Chase Elliott, you kind of have to kind of have to head back and look at the data and figure things out there, but everybody else seemed to perform very well. Um, I don't know. I mean, we touched on it, Bob, so we may as well talk about it a little bit, but obviously the little scuffle after the race, not sure how many people saw it with uh, Denny Hamlin and Will Byron um, got into each other late. Um, I don't know. I mean, Denny Hamlin's got a little bit of a, uh, of a memory like an elephant. So I, I won't just say this is going to go away a hundred percent because I don't think that's, what's going to happen, but I think you've got to kind of chalk this one up to short track racing a little bit. I mean, these are two guys fighting for top 10 positioning at the end of a race. Of course, it's going to get a little bit weird at the end there, Bob. We're really going to have to download Denny Hamlin's audio clip of that's just short track racing because we, we say it too much. We're going to have to download that, but add, I will say, Props to William Byron 
finally getting into a fight, standing up for himself. You know, maybe if he would have stood up to Joe Logano last year, he would have ran into that summer slump because Logano knocked him out of that Darlington race and kind of knocked him out of a funk. Man, I'm glad to see him kind of having a backbone and stand up for himself in an instance like this. Because last year, I don't know if Byron would have done that to Hamlin. But, you know, with the clash and, you know, tight racing, tempers flaring, it brings the, you know, the the aggression out of everyone. I love to see it. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's one of these things that uh, did I expect William Byron to fight Denny Hamlin a little bit today? No, absolutely not. But uh, when I saw it on my TV, I certainly wasn't disappointed. I wasn't disappointed, to tell you that much. I mean, it's just good. I mean... All in all, I mean, just like I said, just the the general kind of changing of the guard that this season kind of represents to me in a way, because there's so much new blood coming in and there's so many questions surrounding some of the names that we're so comfortable talking about in the sport that I think there's some really good opportunities for some of these younger drivers. And William Byron's one of them, man. He can really make a name for himself in a situation like this. But I'm, I'm very anxious to see what happens here, Bob. You, you got to look at that and think uh, Hendricks, you know, back to where they were, you know, that short track package. It's always seems like it's Hendrick and Gibbs and lo and behold, the Gibbs car Wednesday on a short track, no matter how short it may be. It is short. It's the shortest one out there. And Adam, God willing, uh, the, you know, we'll, we'll break down some of the stuff Did, before we even get into that. Was there anything we missed from this, you know, clash day? There was a lot. I mean, uh, here's what I'll say. The one thing I noticed was, you know, we talked a lot about Bubba Wallace, but um, his teammate just about hit everything that moved on the track today. Um, not necessarily the best debut in the world for Tyler Reddick. Um, not sure what it looked like result-wise, but a lot of Finished moves. sixth. He, he did finish sixth, but it wasn't Man, a clean sixth. Let me tell you this much, though, dude. It was a absolutely filthy sixth because – there was times there where he was just throwing it on people's doors. He was dive bombing people. He was going into like onto the freaking the the bumps there at the on the inside of the thing. The I rumble had, strips. Rumble strip. There's the name. I was looking for it in my head. I couldn't find it, dude. There's so much CT. Rumbling, bumbling, stumbling strips. Dude, between like random like laws from the state of California and like just assorted Snapple cap information. My mind is just a wasteland at the moment. Dude. So rumble strips, that's the name. But anyway, well, I, I'm going to give you a real quick, real quick, just, you know, be ready for this. At the end of this podcast, we're going to ask you for a random California law fact. So just, you know, put that in the back and, you know, get ready. Anyway, Tyler Reddick, get okay. back to get back, that's, get back. We're back on track we'll here. Get back. We'll get back. Okay. But yeah, no, Tyler Reddick. Um, yeah, a very impressive start to the season from Bubba. I think um, this, the, I guess, you know, obviously I got to keep kind of going to shut the hell up now because, yeah, he finished sixth. So, but it, it just seemed like he was throwing it, throwing his car all the way around the track. I mean, it did not seem like a clean race. Not going to make a lot of friends racing like that. I'll say that much. Yeah, uh, you know, for as much as he dominated in the eight car last year, you, you expected him, he's got that short track, you know, mentality, you know. He's probably going to come out and do well. And well, he did bad, but it, you definitely expected him to have a little bit more speed, I think, through the weekend. So it, it was definitely something that, to watch moving forward, how that adjustment is to 2311. And then the other thing, I mean, we're talking about 2311 a little bit. So um, just a rumor that we didn't really get a chance to talk about it at all. But um, rumor has it that um, Toyota is actively seeking another NASCAR team. So it seems like they're in the market to kind of go in and sign a deal, maybe steal a manufacturing deal. Um, I think uh, a lot of the names that have been thrown around front row um, has been one that that they thought maybe, you know, kind of get a little bit. You're never going to be too high up that forward ladder. So why not try and move up and be a little bit closer with Toyota? And then right now, I think I think it's right now they're probably like the seventh and eighth Ford car. They could be the fifth and sixth Toyota car or something like that. I don't know. I was trying to read into it a little bit, but I would just be interesting to see moving forward. Um, you know, we don't we don't talk about this type of stuff too often because it's not necessarily our uh, our field of expertise, as the kids will call it. But it will be interesting to see if. Uh, if Toyota does make a move here and kind of grab another team and what level that's at and see if they can do something with development. I don't know. It's just interesting. Kind of something to keep an eye on, Bob. Just putting it on the people's radar. Definitely something to, to keep a watch for. Um, but as far as, you know, just to, to put a bow tie on the clash here, Ad, we'll, we'll get back to the clash stuff here. Um, I, I got to reel you back in every once in a while here. Uh, 
you know, NASCAR mentioned, you know, they're, you know, they're happy with the clash being in LA, obviously. They did also mention though, that Fontana is going to be converted into a short track. So there's not going to be a Southern California points race in 2024 or 25, likely 25, probably. Um, there's rumors that they could potentially make the clash a points race in the regular season. Just got to mention this real quick. At NASCAR, if you're listening to the Breaking Balls podcast, if you've got somebody that's one of our listeners, I've got to put this out here. Listen, this is a perfect exhibition. I love the heat style races as, you know, a great appetizer to get the racing season back going. But you can't make this a points race. You, this is so uniquely different than the rest of the calendar season that it just wouldn't be right to have this a points race. This is a perfect way to start the season. Again, it's perfect for TV. It's great to get the sport back going and to get the fans energized with, you know, uh, you know, a different kind of setup, a different venue. You get the musical acts at halftime, but you don't do halftime at, you know, Richmond Motor Speedway. You don't do halftime at Sonoma. This is something completely different. And I don't think that you could make this work as a regular season race. I think it would just be a little bit too different. And let's be honest, if this was a regular season race ad, Kyle Busch isn't letting Austin Dillon through, and it's probably going to be even more of a shit show than it was tonight. Tonight was a shit show in that second half of the race with that 75-lap sprint. Can you imagine a points race, what that would have looked like? Oh, my God. It would have been a demo derby. Yeah, it would have been awful. It's one of those things that, you know, you you saw guys wrecking each other just because they wanted to win. There were no points on the line. This was just pride. Imagine if there was something that they were actually racing for here. I mean, it just is one of those things. The more you think about it, the more disastrous that gets. It just, to be honest with you, Bob, you look at it right now, and when you see the clash and the format and what it's been the past few years here, you could make a strong argument that it is probably the best preseason in all of professional sports. Because every single other preseason game, it is watered down. You get some backup thing, like a driver who, you know, a guy who doesn't necessarily want to play, maybe fighting for a roster spot, that type of thing. No, NASCAR gives you their A drivers doing exactly what they do every single year, just in a little bit of a different format. And I think it's perfect. It's a good way to maybe put the sport in a non-traditional market. I think LA has been a really good home for it for the past few years. Um, I think it's a good exhibition. Um, whether you do it at the beginning of the year, I think the Clash at the Coliseum does have viability as an event in the future. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if you keep the Clash in LA. I don't know if you move it. I don't know what the secret sauce is here, Bob. What do you think? It, it's it's. I don't know if you keep it in LA necessarily, but I think you got to keep this format where it's that short track racing because especially you look at today, Ad, and you look at this weekend on the sports calendar. Yeah, you've got college basketball in full swing. But the other major sports, you've got the NFL Pro Bowl, you get the NHL All-Star Game. Both of those have been absolutely ripped to shreds on social media this weekend. For one, the advertising, nobody knew they were on it. And then two, when you did watch it, it was an absolute joke the way they were portrayed and the way that the players did, you know, these gimmicky little events and all. It, you could tell nobody was really into it. It was just kind of, you know, filler. Uh, it just... And then you got NASCAR here, who outmarketed both. Obviously, with their preseason, they're trying to get you know interest into the season, so it's a little bit different there. But that being said, they go toe to toe with two different major leagues. They've outmarketed them, and like you said, they've got a better product for this weekend. They've got to use that kind of you know what's what's the word example? You know, like you said, these preseason, the Hall of Fame game ad. We're so excited to watch football, and we turn it off by the second quarter because it's not, it's not real football. Let's call it what it is. Yep. You would not have turned off the NASCAR race 20 laps in because, oh, well, they pulled Kyle Busch. They, they threw John Hearn and check in the car. That's not happening. No. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. It's like it's real racing. It's, it's a different style of racing than you get all year. That's for sure. It's the smallest track that they're on all year. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think it's a perfect way to kind of get the kinks out. I mean, let's face facts. I mean, you – you know, you could have what happened to Ty Gibbs. I mean, we haven't really touched on it, but his car engulfed in flames there. You could have that happen at 180 miles an hour, or you could have it happen at 80 miles an hour going down the, going down the straightaway at the Coliseum. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, it's not a terrible idea to kind of take it to a short track before we throw these, these guys on Daytona and just say, hey, figure it out, especially with some of the safety issues we had in the car as of late. So, I'm good with keeping the clash kind of a non, you know, that preseason vibe. Let's get the kinks worked out. This is a very dangerous sport. 
But let's give the fans a nice appetizer. Let them know what to expect. Put it on network TV. And, you know, let's get the season underway this way. I think it's a good start for sure. And the last thing I'll say about this is you you get those shots where you get the heat qualifying races today. And, you know, it's 25 lap races. They're quick. But you've got those shots of the other drivers who aren't racing in those races. They're out there watching, whether they're in the middle of the track or outside of the track, watching it intently excited. They're smiling. They're laughing because they know what it's like in there. But it's that it's taking NASCAR back to its roots of these short track Saturday night heat races. You know, if you're a local race fan and you go to your local track where it's, you know, your local plumber that has a car and he races just for fun on Saturday nights, that's the kind of racing they do. It's those heat races the a mains the b mains that dirt track race that old school style and so nascar has to do that a little bit but you can't make it a points race no it can't be a points race but just think about it bob i mean the value of a garage pass at an event like the clash as opposed to anywhere else because usually you buy a garage pass and you know a guy may be there but practice is usually at the same time and qualifying is at the same time and the event obviously the day of everybody's in their pre-race you know pre-race routine that type of thing when you break it up into heats and stuff like that, drivers are accessible. They have to be around their cars because who knows when the races are going to end. So it's predictable for the fan. It makes a better experience for them to buy that garage ticket because they know the drivers are going to have to be around the garage area, which sometimes they just kind of go in their collar and, and kind of just hide in there. But it's one of those rare situations where the, the sport somehow comes out to L.A. to get more accessible which feels very weird because most things that come out West tend to not, you know, kind of tend to close the doors more than open them. But really cool to see that NASCAR has been able to successfully come out these past two years and put on very strong events. No, it's, 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 it's encouraging because you look at the clash of the Coliseum ad five years ago, 10 years ago, if you would have thrown this idea out there to NASCAR and their fans, they would have shut it down. They would have said, there's no absolute way. We keep it in Daytona because it's always been there and it always will be. That's just kind of how NASCAR operated. And you're seeing these moments where NASCAR does, you know, the Chicago street race and the clash. They're taking these new ideas. They're pushing the envelope and they're keeping, you know, some of this, you know, the roots that they've built on from, you know, the, the bootlegger, you know, moonshine races back in the day. This, this, clash element where it's you know that bowman gray stadium style racing it almost is like a basketball game where you've got the dj in there and you can hear the tires squeaking because the mufflers are on there but at the same time it's a great environment for a preseason event this is like nascar's midnight madness you know college basketball programs do them all the time this is the equivalent of Ma- of nascar's midnight madness they come to la it's weird there's djs there's rap performances there's all sorts of weird things that go on and they call it the clash and let's just keep it there Like, why does it have to be – it doesn't need to be more than it is. I think it's perfect. I mean, obviously, I think, you know, you're going to have to move it out of L.A., but I I just think the event itself, let's travel. Let's get into new markets. Let's figure this whole thing out. Let's go international. Let's really do something crazy. I mean, why not? You you need to because, like you said, it's Midnight Madness. It's this preseason event. But instead of it being one team, instead of it being just one school in the conference or, you know, one school in the league – it's all the teams together at once doing the preseason, competing well, against each other. It's everyone. You don't get that anywhere else. And that's the thing. It's like, okay, you have basically like – it's like a preseason conference showcase, but instead of having some random conferences play each other, it's like the SEC, the ACC, the Pac-12. It's everybody. It's it's everything. It's the – you know, it's like it, it is all the big boys. It's all the big guns, and they're coming to win. And that's what I think the Clash has going for it over every other professional sport. I just hope that they don't change anything to lose the advantage that they do have because it's rare NASCAR has an advantage. Well, I mean, I'll I'll change a few things. You know, let's not go to a full full commercial break, you know, in a 25-lap heat race. You know, that doesn't help. Or, you know, let's not have Gwen Stefani commentate. No, we're not doing the Whopper song. Not on this podcast. This is a safe space, and I'm not allowing that. We're going to scrub that from the podcast. Anyway, you also can't have Gwen Stefani commentate the last 10 laps of a, of a qualifier race. I know you love her, Ad. You don't have to slander her. I'm not going to make you put – I'm not going to put you in an uncomfortable position. I'll put myself in an uncomfortable position. because I still am not here for the Gwen Stefani-Blake-Shelton relationship. I'm uncomfortable by it. It's not okay. And so having Gwen Stefani – Laughing about Clint Boyer being blackout, telling her that he's a big fan while 
Ricky Stenhouse is trying to get into the last chance qualifier. I am not here for that. Come on, Fox. I'm here to watch a race, not a tabloid. <sighs> it was a great you day. Done? You done? Yes. Yes. Okay. Just making sure. I just. But I, 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 I mean, if you. I need the podcast thought, people to know. I need. If you thought that I, as a proud descendant of Orange County, California, was going to come out and say an ounce of negative, negative words, any thoughts of any sort towards what I can only describe to you as the non-ethnic queen of Anaheim, Gwen Stefani. I, I can't do it, Bob. I can't. I simply cannot. You're asking me to do something that not only can I not do, I will not do. And okay, well, the woman has the woman deserves gonna, the woman deserves your respect. She deserves my respect, and most importantly, Bob, I'm walking I'm walking through some spider webs. So leave a message, and I'll call you back. I'm going to put you on the record here, and you can plead the fifth here. The Blake Shelton and Gwen Stefani relationship is weird, right? It doesn't. I I don't like it. It's fine. Love is love. All right. I'm, I'm no, from California, that's, that's Bob. Fine. I've seen I've seen much weirder things happening in relationships. You're just gonna have to trust <laughs> me. I don't doubt that even in the slightest bit here. Just from the crowd shots of the clash, I believe that. So uh, there was there was a kid that in the first 20 minutes of the Fox broadcast was sitting with his mom. Kid had to have been no more than 12 years old. Gray T-shirt that just said "Frick." vape so i believe that everything out there is a little stranger so um, ad, did i miss anything from the clash days or anything else that we need to go over before we get absolutely wild here i don't think so man i honestly just really good to get cars back on the track um i'll say this <laughs> i mean anytime you got anytime you got that many cautions i mean it's just so hard to get any continuity in the race but i'll say this we taped it together and it was racing, Bob, and it was exactly what we needed, and I'm just glad we got to come back come back together and talk about it. It was racing. It was needed. Honestly, I will scrap the Super Bowl next weekend. We can do Daytona. I am so here for that. My boogity count is way too high right now. I'm so excited. Um, but, you know, add that being said here, like you said, it's nice to have cars on the track. We're going to be breaking down NASCAR weekly over here at Breaking Balls. I cannot wait. you got to check out our YouTube, our Spotify, our Apple Apple podcast, everything here. We're going to be dropping it twice a week at a minimum here. When news breaks, it's going to be fun. Uh, but, man, it was just nice to watch some cars beating and banging tonight. Ad. I just it, it, felt, it felt right, didn't it? Yep. No, it felt good, man. Just like I said, just cars on track, having people come together. Uh, Jimmy Johnson announcing that he's going to erase in Chirac. I mean, there's all sorts of good things coming out of today, Bob. I mean, there's just, just so much. And you know, this is my little bit of joy in my in my break of studying for the bar. Um, I don't I don't do much these days, Bob. I just randomly kind of sit around in my uh, in my office here. I don't leave. I just kind of read different things, and it's uh, it's kind of a mess, man. It's a real well. Mess. We we we. We give Adam a little bit of a glimmer of a hope over here with, with stock cars and podcasts. So, folks, we're going to be back on Thursday, I'm sure, to give a little Super Bowl preview. But, of course, Ad, it was great talking racing. Before we go, I did give you a little bit of a teaser at the end. So, if, if there's anything else we've, we've missed, speak now or forever, hold your peace. But otherwise, Ad, why don't you give our listeners a lovely fact from the California law you've learned recently? Okay. Um, so, for those of you who don't know... Um, I just graduated law school, flex, um, and I'm taking the bar on February 21st, flex. Um, so basically, uh, there is a multi-state portion of the bar where they, they will, a bunch of different subjects. One of them is criminal law. There is no, um, there is no common criminal law throughout the United States for the multi-state bar exam. So what do we use? We use common law which nobody uses. So I leave you with the common law definition of burglary. And let me tell you right now, if, if it is not strictly adhered to, it is not a burglary. So here's the interesting, one of the more interesting definitions I've learned at this point in my bar study. So a burglary is a breaking and entering, a wrongful breaking and break, 
breaking and entering of a dwelling of another. Dwelling is very specific. Dwelling is in a place that somebody lives, so not a commercial building. At night, specifically at night, you cannot burgle somebody's home during the day. It is literally impossible at common law to commit this crime during the day. At night, and you have to have the intent to commit a felony when you are entering the house as the burglar. So let's say that you are entering a house and you just intended to go in and do the cha-cha slide and leave. There is nothing criminal about doing the cha-cha slide in somebody else's home. So you cannot be, it's not a felony to do the cha-cha slide in somebody's home. So you cannot be convicted of burglary. So at common law, at least. But of course, there's been modern adaptations. But here we are. That's common law burglary. The breaking and entering of a dwelling of another at night with the intent to commit a felony. Well, you know, Ad, my uh, my wife says she's a burglar, but she works during the day. So she must be cheating on me. Anyway, that's two minutes of my life. I'll never get back. Ladies and gentlemen, that was episode 41 of the Breaking Balls podcast. We'll see you next week. Please listen to this podcast so I don't have to do that for a living. Bye.